Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoachthenandlife.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our sixth episode of season 13, a special guest all the way from United Kingdom, an NLP expert, Gemma Bailey. And just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to probably introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Gemma, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on your podcast as well. So yes, as uh, Dr. Dan mentioned there, um, NLP is my speciality. So I actually started life uh, not in a therapeutic way. I was working with children and young people. Um, So I used to work in private day nurseries and uh, work for families as a nanny. But actually all of those things were the perfect foundation for what I ended up doing later on in life because I learned lots about family dynamics. I learned lots about behavioral challenges um, and just all aspects of what it is to become a walking, talking human being because I went through all of those developmental stages with the young people that I was working with. So I ended up transitioning from that role into something completely new. And I really wanted to go into something where I would be helping people in some way. I think I always had that bug of wanting to make a difference and uh, wanting to change the world in some way. And in the beginning, working with children was the way in which I looked to meet that need within myself. But what I realized very quickly was that I was gonna be changing lots of diapers and not necessarily changing the world very much. Um, So I later transitioned into neuro-linguistic programming and I'm also qualified in hypnotherapy as well. And I uh, undertook those particular qualifications because I could do them at speed. Um, Whereas other sorts of more formalized training um, such as CBT or counseling, psychotherapy, or it would require me to go back to college and university and taking lots of other additional steps. So NLP is classified as an alternative therapy in that it is not regulated in the same way as lots of other interventions are. And so I really started out by working with people who had been through some of the mainstream uh, modalities to help solve different challenges that they're experiencing but for whatever reason found that those did not quite hit the spot for them and so they were looking for something different Um, and in the beginning i worked very much as a generalist so i would see anyone about absolutely anything but it became clear relatively early on that there was a niche or a niche, as you might say in America, which had my name on it. Um, And because I had all this experience with children and families, I started to specialize my NLP practice in working with children. So I created a brand called NLP for Kids. um, And via that uh, particular brand, so I specialize in working with children, families, going into schools and providing support there. 
and I later became a trainer of NLP so that I was qualified to teach that modality to other people that wanted to become practitioners. And I designed an entire training program um, for those that wanted to use NLP with children. Uh, so that became accredited by the Association of NLP, which is the largest professional body for NLP practitioners. And, um, and I have it insured as a completely separate modality to the rest of NLP and my practitioners are able to do the same. And one of the things that I've worked on um, over the years is really bringing the sort of professionalism that I have from working with children and families into the NLP sphere because it's a little bit of a free-for-all in the NLP sphere. There are people that can do an online training and call themselves a practitioner. Um, there are other people that have gone through live training and really put in the hours like I have. Um, there are some people who train once and never do anything again, um, but are still classified as a practitioner in some way. So with NLP for Kids, I really set some standards as to what it means to be an NLP for Kids practitioner. So we police check everybody that we uh, qualify to make sure that they're suitable for working with children and vulnerable people. They have to complete safeguarding training, which is like a child protection training. Um, they have to sign up for data protection, which means that they're going to adhere to um, keeping all of their documentation in the right way. Um, we have them do pediatric first aid if they're going to be performing any sessions live or running group sessions um, in case, you know, they need to perform first aid on a child and they have to retrain every three years if they want to retain their status as a licensed NLP for kids practitioner. Um, and simultaneously, I have uh, another company called People Building, which is my grown up NLP training. So that's where I uh, teach people who want to work with um, adults and to provide support with them, either in a corporate environment or a therapeutic one. Um, and I've recently franchised that company so that the people that train under that umbrella can also benefit from the same sorts of levels of ongoing support that we provide at NLP for Kids. Um, and then just to kind of put the cherry on the cake, um, I've written a couple of books. I also have my own podcast. There are YouTube channels dedicated to each of the companies that I've mentioned. Um, I have a nonprofit organization so that when we have people that reach out to us that can't financially uh, afford the support that they need, we're able to pay for our own practitioners to deliver the sessions that are required. Um, and I've recently started a study, which is a university led study into the effectiveness of one of our NLP for kids programs um, for overcoming anxiety uh, for children aged eight to 11 years old. And probably by around March time next year, there should be a, a conclusive report which has measured how their anxiety levels were before they started, where their anxiety levels got to by the time they finished the program. And there is a control group in place so that we can make sure that their anxiety doesn't just repair itself over the course of a few weeks, um, but that the program itself actually makes a difference. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, by this time next year, we might be in a position to say, 
not only am I an advocate for NLP, but I can actually prove scientifically that what we're doing works. And I think that probably just about sums me up. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. So we uh, feel that everything that you have learned in NLP, I mean, when it comes to the kid portion of it, um, their sensory acuity is not as developed as adults. So mm -hmm. you think that everything that is being taught in NLP can be directly applicable to kids and see positive results versus how we do it for adults. There's definitely some um, translation that I've had to do with some of the modalities, um, some of the strategies that we use, we've had to simplify. I would say one of the main things in NLP is we use lots of clunky language. I think we're trying to make ourselves sound much more clever than we really are by using these really big labels. So I've simplified lots of that stuff. Um, and for me personally, what I tend to find in my work with children is that in lots of ways, they're easier to work with because they don't have the same level of conscious filtering that an adult does. And what I mean by that is they still believe in Father Christmas. They still believe in the Tooth Fairy. You know, all of those figures are real, um, obviously. Uh, whereas with adults, they have much more... Um, programming to say this can work this can't work this is true this is not true and sometimes in nlp um i think there there is some of the strategies that we use have maybe got limitations to them but they work really well if you believe and if you believe that the result is gonna is gonna be there for you if you believe that this is the intervention that's gonna hit the spot for you then it will and I'm really curious about the um, effects and the power of belief in, in what I do, because so much of NLP has not been scientifically proven. Um, and, and it does make me wonder, well, maybe is it just belief that makes it work? And, and if that's the case, then I'm completely fine with that, because then I just need to make sure the people I'm working with believe the right things. And that's very easy to do with children. You know, you can really have those conversations where it's easier to convince them if we do X, Y and Z, if we take these steps, you will get to the result that you want to get to. You will change. These things are all possible for you. And they just question it a lot less. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if you've got good rapport with them, um, there's a lot of things that work better. Um, and there are other things that you you just need to proposition in a different way and really kind of for me as a as a practitioner it forces me to really slow down maybe how i'm explaining certain things because with an adult you can take for granted that they've got sensory acuity you can take for granted that they already know something about connecting with other people in the right way Whereas with children, you really have to sort of dissect it all to be able to explain it and propose it to them in a way that they're going to get. And I think that, that it kind of stretches your um, your skills as a practitioner in a really different way. Also, kids ask the best questions. Like, the, they have the best ideas. So <laughs> it's lots of fun. And then when you build rapport with the kids versus with the adult, well, if you choose like anything that, that does the mirroring or matching or cross matching, they find it to be funny. But if you do it with an adult, they'll think that you're patronizing them. So how <laughs> you the difference between 
what should you apply for each to be able to build that rapport so they could actually listen and pay attention? Um, I would say some of it's practical as well, right? Because if I'm building rapport with a child, I I may be, I mean, I'm not a tall person, but I, I may be physically bigger than them, which means that if I'm sitting in a chair and they're sitting in a chair, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm like over overtowering them and making them feel inferior in some way. So you have to think about the rapport on quite a practical level, like is my chair low enough? for us to have eye contact with each other and you know to sort of see each other really face to face um is the chair that i'm asking them to sit in like my therapy chair is it too high up like are they going to have to climb into that um, and then what's that going to do for their self esteem if if i'm bringing them in and sort of highlighting how little they are so there are def <laughs> there are definitely sorts of you know different practical aspects that you maybe think about uh with children compared with when you're building rapport with adults um and i think that with children sometimes like a challenge is that uh, so one of the things we do when we're rapport building and we're using something like matching and mirroring, which is you use your body in a very similar way to how they're using their body. Uh, with adults, they tend to sit still. Children, not so much, you know, and I've got swingy chairs like this one. So they'll be kind of like swaying from side to side. And if I'm going to rapport build with them, um, I need to make sure that I'm gaining that sort of physical level of connection with them where I'm as comfortable moving and free in my body as they are, but not so much that I'm distracting the both of us. And, you know, if there's a parent there, having them think that I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's a balancing act all the way through. Um, and when it comes to adults, uh, you have to apply all of those things with more subtlety because adults, like you say, they'll pick up on it. They'll think that you're patronizing them. If they scratch their nose and you instantly do the same thing, then it's kind of, what the hell are you doing that for? Um, whereas with children, they wouldn't pick up on uh, that those obvious things. If anything, you're maybe a little bit more pantomime. And so you're overemphasizing some of the things with children. Whereas with the adults, you have to be a lot more slick and a bit more delicate and move more smoothly especially if you're making physical transitions so that they don't consciously pick up on it. That's so true. But then again, if you ask, like, for example, adult in NLP, they have the tendency to be able to analyze and evaluate their environment uh, mm -hmm. based on their sensory acuity and uh, how they interpret their, their uh, like, uh, if someone is walking around and, and they feel, you know, maybe this person is depressed or maybe this and that. The kid doesn't have this capability. So right. obviously... The NLP portion of it is going to have to adapt to the person that you're dealing with. And by building rapport, you'll be able to yes. know what are the past traumatic experiences that they have suffered from to be yeah. able to implement what you have learned with NLP. But with kids, they have little amount of experience to be able to go back into the past and figure out yeah. when they have some internal representation that are different from the adult portion of it. So do you feel that this has to be completely bring back to a very core basic of what NLP is? because when you do for adults and for children, it is completely different. Yeah, 100%. So I would say, um, you know, maybe another a difference that I notice is that children are very much in the now, and they're also not necessarily very good with their uh, emotional vocabulary. So you can say to them, so how do you feel about that thing? And it might be good 
or bad, but there isn't any further refinement from there. Um, an example that I give sometimes on my training is when my cousin was little and he said to my auntie, I've got beetles in my tummy and they're pinching, pinching, pinching me. And she thought, what on earth is he talking? Like he hasn't got beetles in his tummy. What's he talking about? In the next moment, he threw up everywhere. So what he was trying to say to her is I've got a stomach ache, but he didn't have the vocabulary for stomach ache yet, or he had no reference for that just yet. So instead he said, I've got beetles in my stomach and they're pinching me from the inside. So you have to do quite a lot of um, decoding, you know, being quite creative. Sometimes we might use, uh, so there's a, a particular um, set of skills within NLP called submodalities, and they're really useful for maybe applying color to a feeling or talking about the temperature of it, or is it moving? Is it steady? Where in your body do you feel that feeling? So sometimes uh, if we need to refine what an emotion is, for example, they've said it's a bad emotion, but they can't tell us which one. And that would be really valuable to know about. So instead we might say, where in your body do you feel the bad feeling? And if the bad feeling had a color, what color would it be? What would be a better color for it? Um, is it moving? Does it stay still? Does it bounce up and down? If we could poke it, what would it feel like? So we might get some finer distinctions around it in that way. And, and sometimes we never know. We never know what the original feeling was or what it was called, but we're able to change it to something that feels better for them. And that's helpful. Um, and yeah, like you say, they, they don't necessarily have a lot of back references. So memories can be tricky. Uh, a good thing about NLP is it does tend to be more focused on the what are we going to do about it rather than let's keep looking at all of the bad stuff that happened in the past. So it does lend itself as being valuable um, as a tool in that way. Uh, but you find that a lot of stuff with children just happens conversationally. You know, if you get them distracted and doing something else where you're not necessarily focusing and saying, tell me all about this thing, but instead you go, let's do some drawing together or, you know, let's make something. Then actually that's a time when it seems as if their unconscious is more open to uh representing stuff and um letting stuff flow that if you'd asked them directly to really consciously come up with the answers to the questions they might have struggled to do so but if you distract them and put them into some other activity then it's more like the information comes through them rather than them having to go seek it out um, whereas with adults, I find that they quite like the process of dissecting and going back through stuff and filtering through it and, you know, holding it up to the light. Um, and, and again, that's probably got something to do with the fact that they remembered more about their past and that we are more, we're living more in our conscious minds as adults than children do. Yes, that's so true. And now when it comes to um, the, because as you know, this is the happiness journey. Do you feel that the, the kids, you know, since they do not deal with the stresses that adults deal with, um, they're more likely to be happy, even, you know, with just the basic things. For us, mm -hmm. we need much more complicated uh, changes in our life to be able to kind of like say if I'm happy or if I'm not happy. Now, what is the, the cut age in the NLP kids versus NLP adults? Is it 18 years old that you would adapt NLP procedure versus, I mean, 
NLP adults uh, mm -hmm. process versus young? Is there like, is it 14, 13? When do you say that, okay, he, he needs the NLP adult uh, version of it? Yeah, good question. I would say it's less about age and more about stage. So what I mean by that is what is their maturity level? What is their level of understanding? Um, their general uh, comprehension around language. Sometimes it's about life experience as well. You know, if I have a 14 year old boy who comes to see me and he has been um, expelled from three schools and is truanting from his uh, fourth school and he's living at home with a uh, single parent and he is uh, ruling the house and um, hanging out with older boys, you know, the wrong crowd, or you know, the sort of classic stereotypes. Um, if he comes to me, I'm going to have a very different approach to him than I would if I have a uh, another 14 year old who comes to see me who is going to private school and um attending loads of different social activities um during the weekends and after school and is experiencing exam stress you know they're, they're going to be two really different conversations mm -hmm. and i i would find myself using more um slang and uh more harsh terminology perhaps with the the kid that's truanting from school and getting expelled all over the place because i need to kind of hit him where he's at you know i've got to pitch at his level for him to take me seriously and if i go in and i'm all soft and gentle like i might be with my horse riding 14 year old in private school it's just not going to land in the right way so yeah i think you really have to kind of meet them where they are which for us as practitioners requires which is an nlp principle anyway that we work with a great deal of flexibility um and that we're really open to starting a session and going ha this was the wrong tactic and i'm gonna need to switch things up here in order to keep this person engaged or to hook them back into what it is that we're doing today. Um, and that might mean that you are suddenly like pitching up or it might mean, no, I need to kind of um, dilute this down a little bit and make, you know, say this in a different way that's going to be more understandable to them. Now, um, in NLP adults, we also, when we, uh, well, not interview, but when we uh, treat the, the patient, we kind of ask them question and we kind of determine exactly the eye direction of where the way that they answer. So do kids uh, do when you ask them specific question, do the eyes start like pointing either upper left, upper down? How do you, how do you determine that, uh, how the brain works at this, in this aspect? Yeah, so um, they definitely still have eye patterns. Um, and I would say that their eye patterns work in as an unreliable way as anybody else's does in that you can ask them something that's supposed to be visual and they'll have a feeling about it. And you're like, why have their eyes gone down there? <laughs> and it's not until you ask them some more questions. They go, well, I was thinking about what I was feeling back then. You go, oh, you were supposed to have made a picture. <laughs> Just throwing off all my predictions here. Um, so yeah, their eye patterns do work all in in the same way um they love learning about eye patterns because for them this is like it's almost like they are decoding other people you know if they learn this stuff um and as much as you tell them 
you will not be able to tell if somebody is lying they like to think that now they will know um so they really enjoy learning about eye patterns um and uh yeah they you know i would say all of those sorts of representations are formed relatively early on certainly by the time they're in school and they're starting to get taught in that way there would be less um eye patterns taking them perhaps into um auditory digital so talking to themselves inside their head there is typically less so that's a really adult thing to do that's something that as we are um growing developing and becoming more stressed out we do a lot more talking to ourselves inside our heads so they would have a, a, a there's a lot more adi pattern that you would see in older um uh, people whereas in children it's much more creative it's imagination so it's going to be much more up eye patterns going up into visual definitely now um when it comes to your own personal experience uh, Gemma. The, the fact, because for me, when I, I studied, I first did the cognitive behavior psychotherapy, I did a DBT, which is a dialectical. Um, and after I felt that NLP was a must to kind of like fill in my training, fill in my knowledge, because yeah. it's more practical, because by asking questions, because in the CBT, you're more listening. Yes. In NLP, you have to engage, you have to interact yeah. around yeah. The, the individual. So do you feel that the NLP has fulfilled everything that you needed to know in human behavior, human psyche and, and everything that follows? I think if you'd have asked me this 10 years ago, I would have said yes, but over time I've become more curious and I don't know if it's all on me. I don't know if it's all that my thinking has changed and I've wanted to, you know, grow and learn more. I think the other um ingredient here is that people have changed so I, I trained in nlp in 2004 so a good long while ago now and when i first started things like um asd so autistic spectrum disorder adhd um and uh all those sorts of spectrum disorders were rare it would be rare for me to see um a child with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and, and quite frankly a little bit scary um whereas now that's every other child i meet yes um and and now it's it's maybe every third adult that i meet as well and and that's probably in part better diagnosis it's probably in part um that you know people are our culture and our lifestyle has changed so it's it's bringing about more of these disorders um covid i feel has really kind of hiked things up in a whole other way around stress levels and stuff as well so i i kind of felt like i needed to upskill myself so that um with all of these new disorders and challenges that were coming in my direction I would be better prepared for how to respond to these. And I didn't feel that NLP had all of the answers to that. It definitely has some, you know, there is very specific things within NLP, um, like we were saying about eye patterns that can be useful for spelling strategies, which is really helpful for those with uh, dyslexia and, and reading challenges. Um, and things like the rapport building stuff can be very helpful for those who have ASD um, and, and are on the autism spectrum. And, and need to learn more about how to connect with others um, in a more sort of methodological way because it doesn't necessarily come naturally to them. 
so there are definitely things that I've been able to kind of pull together for those sorts of audiences. Um, but there is, uh, there's more challenges, I think, coming our way. I, I don't even feel like we've hit the crest of the wave yet. So yeah, I would say for me, I've had to learn more beyond NLP, but in part, that's because the world is changing. Where can our listeners find you? Because I know that NLP is not as recognized as CBT, DBT, and all the other uh, uh, alphabet, super alphabet, I call them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how can someone reach out to you? I know that you're all the way in UK uh, to be able to either get trained as an NLP because they're pretty fascinated with, with our conversation or to send their kids to get treated for uh, using the NLP approach. Yeah, absolutely. So in both cases, whether it's training or looking at getting some support therapeutically, we do offer all of that on Zoom. Um, so it's available no matter where in the world you are. Uh, for grown-up NLP training and support, the website to go to is peoplebuilding.co.uk. Um, and if you have a child or young person that you're looking to get support for, or you're a parent and you're looking to get support for yourself, the website to go to is NLP so November Lima Papa and then a numerical four so NLP for kids.org um, and uh, you can reach out to myself or, or any of the team members that you see listed on the website there beautiful well Gemma thank, that's all the time that we have for today's podcast and also appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule uh, to join us and thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story and skill set now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 13 of the Happiness Journey podcast, filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Happiness is when your thought, words, and action are in sync. For most people on the planet, the pursuit of happiness has been a difficult journey. Many people spend their entire lives trying to figure out what happiness means to them. It is never clearly defined because their action and belief may contradict what they think or say. We keep running after some sort of entity that we can't see or feel because it's not in harmony with our own belief or spirituality. We know happiness is attainable because some people have achieved it. But what is their secret? What is the ultimate process to achieve this very difficult and most desirable state of mind? According to Dalai Lama, the purpose of our life is to be happy. All of this is wonderful, yet it appears that we're all missing that ultimate purpose. Begin by slowing down and paying attention to what's going on around you, as well as listening to your inner voice to determine what's lacking in your life. Stop comparing yourself to others and instead concentrate on your own specific notion of happiness. Once this is completed, the rest will fall into place. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.